rotten motherfucker. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Most Harmless Podcast. I'm your host, Damn it, Damien. All right, buddies. For this week's episode, we bring you probably our most special episode yet. Um, I turn 32 years old tomorrow on August 3rd. Um, I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to find somebody in between the ages of, I don't know, alive and dead, who's not familiar with the film The Sandlot. Uh, it's one of my all-time favorite films. I remember getting free passes from my local Fox TV station in Shreveport, Louisiana. I uh, won them off the TV. We went down there and watched this movie, and it was fantastic. But I don't need to tell you that because you already know, because it's one of your favorite all-time films. The film is about baseball, but it's about so much more than that. It's about friendship. It's about adventure. It's about life, the universe, and everything. And and uh, I'm in the process of selling off almost all my DVDs, and yet this, this film, along with The Goonies, Stand By Me, and Shawshank Redemption, are all in the uh, Do Not Sell pile. It's, it, it's a fantastic film. And I'm very lucky that today's guest is David Mikey Evans, the director of The Sandlot. Uh, We sat down earlier today and we talked. How great a birthday present is that to interview the director of one of your favorite films of all time? Um, I I was just flabbergasted. And here's the best part is they contacted me, the PR rep for the uh, Colorado Springs showing of the Sandlot uh, had found me, I believe, I, I'm not entirely sure, but I believe through uh, the Colorado Springs Independent, where I won third place best blogger last year, and I got contacted by them like, hey, do you want to interview David for the uh, Sandlot 20th anniversary party? And then, hey, guess what? We're also going to give you free tickets to go see the sh- see the movie at uh, Sky Sox Stadium here in Colorado Springs, where they're doing this 20-year anniversary tour. Well, goddamn right I want to do that. So that's what we got here for you today, folks. Um, we're going to cut these intros really short, uh, short and sweet and to the point. Normally, this is a music podcast. Uh, normally, I interview bands or comedians or comic book artists of the sort. Uh, there's not really any music to play on this here little episode. So we're not going to play any music. We're just going to get straight ahead and straight into the interview. Uh, if you like the interview, please head over to mostlyharmlesspodcast.com. Uh, check us out on iTunes. Subscribe. Uh, leave us a little iTunes review. Uh, click like on Facebook. Do all that good stuff. And hey, if you're feeling uh, super generous, it is my 32nd birthday. Uh, buy a t-shirt. Uh, send me a PayPal donation. Uh, do whatever you like. Uh, it's all good, buddies. It's all good. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Uh, thank you to David for sitting down and doing this with me today. And uh, thank you for listening. We're going to go ahead and get this up today as soon as possible. So hopefully that this helps. I mean, it's 1 o'clock here in Colorado Springs. I, the movie starts tonight at about 745. I don't really know if that's going to help push any people to it but hopefully it does so uh let's uh take a little listen here to uh my interview with david mikey evans the writer of radio flyer and director and writer of the sandlot let's take a listen you're killing me smalls um which is actually kind of a breath of fresh air it's like oh man i get to talk to somebody about something completely different (laughs) so does the musician thing or do you find there's uh that they're all different, or, or, or is it more that they're all very much similar? I think I talk mostly about like the building block kind of stuff and origin stories and whatnot. And those I find that they're different, but they have that same similar roots and uh, mm-hmm. structure kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know? So 
it works out pretty good. And then I have this little thing because you know when you show up at a five hundred thousand person arena or yeah. whatever size, yeah, they don't they don't like to take uh, mixing boards and stuff. Like yeah, that, yeah. But this I can easily sneak in usually. So very cool. So yeah. So you've been doing a lot of press for this. Oh this yeah, whole tour. a lot. Have you gotten burnt out on it yet? No. No, really. No, you you know look, there's there's a certain amount of um you know, stamina you have to have for this sort of thing. But if you, you know, once you do it long enough, I mean, you know, it's an attitude thing. Yeah. I, I appreciate every single person that I talk to because if I don't get to do this and you guys don't help right. me, nobody comes to the movie. You right. know? So I'm very grateful. Yeah. Well, I'm very grateful to do this. Um, I, well, I, I was telling myself I was, when I was right, I've had a lot of coffee today. So Dude, welcome to the club. Yeah, it's Go Juice Rocks. It's, it's a good day for it. Uh, I actually couldn't sleep last night. I kept dreaming about doing this interview. So finally, <laughs> I just got up and just, it's you know, I'm a bartender by day uh-huh. or actually by night. So, you know, getting up at 6 o'clock in the morning when you go to bed at 2 is, yeah, I'm, I'm a little fried. So please excuse All me right. if I no worries. a little too much. Um, but so um, I grew up in Shreveport, Louisiana. Yeah, you're down. I'm in. I live in Florida. You're you're nice. down there near my yeah. neck of the woods. I live. I've lived here now for a little over ten years. But um, the Fo- the local Fox affiliate way back twenty years ago mm-hmm. had given out passes for the Sandlot. Oh right, during the the thing, yeah. And uh, I was fortunate enough back in that time period. I always won contests. <laughs> nice. I, I ran out of my luck in my early adolescence, but I got uh, two passes to that, which you know, four tickets. Mm-hmm. And uh, when she called me or emailed me, was like, "Hey, do you want to interview David?" Mm-hmm. David, I was like, "Absolutely, perfect, please." And then even it, I feel like I've won another prize. <laughs> <laughs> well, like, you're very kind. Dude. <laughs> and even better, like uh, tomorrow is my 32nd birthday. Dude, dude, today is my sister's birthday. She nice. lives here in Manitou Springs. Nice. Get Great. out of here. We'll have we to, need to buy a lottery ticket, me and you. We should. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's like this is a fantastic birthday present for me here. Good, today. good, man. Thank That's you. awesome. So thank you for sitting down and talking with Back me. Back at you. Um, I've noticed on this uh, anniversary tour, you're doing a lot of non-traditional media. I mean, you're sitting down yep. talking to me. Um, you have a... Your blog that I, I, you know, seems to be doing very well. You're talking yeah. with podcasts and smaller known blogs. How important is it to take this non-traditional route? I mean, you're also doing the radio stations and stuff. Too, well, yeah, right? we do. We do all that sort of thing. But I mean, look, the world is on the web. The world is on the right. net now. You know, um, somebody asked me in an interview a while back about is it, you know, is it, when if you're in entertainment, you're a filmmaker, whatever. You know, how important is it to the social media thing, mm-hmm. FB tweet and all that. I says, look, if you're if you're a filmmaker, an indie filmmaker, specifically, right. but in any capacity in uh, in entertainment, sorry, it's a coffee talker, yeah. dude. I'm going to join you there in a second. <laughs> um, and you don't make full use if you don't have your own website, a blog that's a doorway to FB, to your Twitter thing, and to Instagram and everything else. You're an idiot. I mean, right. you're a complete idiot. You have to do it in no other. Bi- I look, all the world is people. All businesses, for the most part, people, okay? But no more so importantly than entertainment mm-hmm. or filmmaking, my thing. It's all people. Everything is people. And what do you do? you got to stay connected. You have to stay. they got to know what you're doing. you got to know what they're doing, you know, personally mm-hmm. or professionally. And you divide it up, and you got your personal stuff, your professional stuff. A lot of times, because a lot of the, the A crews and stuff that I work with are my personal friends and have become that way over many years, um, it's 
incredibly important. Yeah, absolutely. There you go. I mean, I, let me, you know, I'll go one step further. It's indispensable. Right. Yeah. And then you're very in touch with your fans through, you know, email, uh, oh. Twitter, Facebook. You have um, to be. Yeah. How, how do you, uh, how, how important is it for you? I mean, you just mentioned it, but mm-hmm. how, how does it feel to be that accessible? It's, okay, dude, it can be, it, that's a bit of a double-edged sword. Or, right. or, or let's not use the weapon uh, uh, metaphor. Let's use the two, two, two sides of a coin, mm-hmm. you know. Um, look, I've been stalked. I don't know how many times. Really? Oh, yeah, in my in my my career, um, you know, to greater and lesser degrees. That sort of went away, which is cool. Um, mostly, you know, I'm associated with the Sandlot. Mostly, that's it, look. It's a Sandlot love fest. You mm-hmm. know, it's not like I made some horror movie and everybody's going, "Hey, man, I want to," you know, <laughs> do what you did in that horror movie. It's, it's nothing like that. I have the great, you know, honor and and, and privilege and, and pleasure of having made this movie that is um, about friendship, loyalty, character, courage, all that sort of thing. Right. So, you know, 99% of the fan interaction that I have is 100% positive. It's all hugging it out, shaking hands. I'm thanking them back. And I genuinely, totally, honestly, completely, authentically mean it because if it wasn't for them, I I might have a career, but it wouldn't be what it is. Right. You know? So, yeah, it's really important to me. And, I mean, you know, you, you, you do your thing. I've got personal yeah. email things. You've got personal email mm-hmm. things. We have our business things. You know, my blog's got an email button, a tweet button. That's all cool. But, you know, I'm not airing my, you know, dirty laundry on there, dude. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it, it's about a particular subject and stuff. And I found, especially on this tour, um, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. It is just one big, continuing Wonderful, positive Sandlot Love Fest. Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. That's kind of what it is. I've enjoyed reading about your adventures, especially the Arlington Hotel uh, fiasco and st- stuff of the like. So it's been good to follow. <laughs> oh, man. Just, the one in St. Louis was awesome. Uh, that's when I truly understood the power of social media. And look, I know that I have this little modicum of fame and all that <laughs> sort of thing. And I never, dude, I, I don't, you know, I live in a, nobody knows where I live or anything like I'm yeah. very happy just to, to do that. However, I will tell you, in St. Louis at a particular hotel, there was this bar, I and mean, it was like 2.30 in the morning. No, it wasn't that. It was like 1.30 in the morning. All I wanted was a beer. I was done, you know, it was like a 14-hour yeah. autograph thing and all that. And, you know, she was the rudest, snarkiest idiot I have ever encountered. And so I was left with no choice but to tweet. So I tweeted, you know, at particular hotel chain international, mm-hmm. at all, every one of their tweet things. And literally in 10 minutes, the CEO of the company worldwide, Mr. Evans, we are so sorry. Da, 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 da. Never happens. It's not our policy. Da, 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 da. And the next morning, she was fired. Oh wow, dude! So I, I have to, you know, realize now that 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 little Twitter thing is a bit of a loaded gun. Right, right. You know, absolutely. Um, so let's 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 uh, shift gears a little bit into sure. movies. You've made uh, three baseball films uh, that are directed, right? Have you made three? Uh-huh. Sandlot one, yes, yeah, Sandlot two, and final season. Yeah, and then you wrote a fantastic film called Ed. I have the ignominious uh, <laughs> honor of having uh, written and directed what has been called the greatest baseball movie ever made, the greatest baseball movie never seen, the final season, and the absolute worst baseball movie ever made, Ed. <laughs> so you know. I got that going for me. Yeah. Uh, what, I, and, and I'm sure you get this everywhere you go, but how big a role was baseball in your life growing up? 
Well, I mean, it was the number one sport uh, that mm-hmm. we played. Um, you know, we were really poor, so maybe once or Where, twice. Where'd you grow up? Uh, northeastern San Fernando okay. Valley, you know, a little city called Pacoima. And we got to play literally organized Little League, maybe like, I think, twice where you got the uniform and all that cool stuff, mm-hmm. but it was very expensive. So mostly we played park leagues where it was like, you know, bail bonds, <laughs> dude, you know, yeah. like the bad news bears. And uh, I was very, very good. I was a terrific athlete, uh, you know, I, I like to think I, I still am. I'm very active. I love it. I loved baseball as a kid. And I maybe like once or twice I, that I can recall, maybe it was three times, we actually got to go to Dodger Stadium. And this was in the 70s when, you know, Lopes, say, Garvey, you know, Lasorda was the guy. I mean, it was, you know, Paranoski was the pitching coach. Um, and Chavez Ravine, I mean, these days, you know, if they're playing the Padres or the Giants, you might, and you're a Padres, you're gonna, yeah. you might get killed. <laughs> you know, which like, what? You know, who's in charge over there? They're still my team, and I bleed Dodger blue. Because there may not be a finer baseball park. There are better, more beautiful, more awesome, more spectacular baseball stadiums. But I don't know if there's a better one to actually watch a game in. You know, 7, 7.30, summer, you know, evening, lights just going down. It's one of those balmy Southern California, and there's the players in the in the field. I mean, that really stuck in my head the, the moments I got to see that when I was a kid. Nice. Yeah. And when did, when did you fall in love with film or movies? Movies saved my life when I was a kid. The moment I decided that that is what I had to do, and I didn't even know what that was, was when I saw Star Wars <laughs> at the Americana Theater in Panorama City, California, when it first came out in 77, I believe. I still have the original uh, thing they gave out with the big formatted uh, brochure thing. Nice. Uh, yeah, it'll be worth some money someday. <clears throat> and uh, I, I sat there watching that movie, and I, I, you, they didn't kick you out after that. You could watch it twice in a row, and I watched it twice in a row, and I, I just could not believe that that was a movie. I thought it was utterly real. What was I, 12? And I said, I don't know what it is. I don't know how they do it, but I got to do that. I got to do it. And then, you know, the rest is sort of history. Yeah. And then... Um, I like in the Sandlot, you capture this rather awkwardness of growing up. Were you an awkward child growing up? We, I wasn't an awkward... Okay, yes and no. No, right. I wasn't a goof. No, I wasn't the Scotty Smalls kind of mm-hmm. thing. But we were real outsiders. My brother and I were... We got the crap beat out of us on the way to school, at school, on the way home from school. And then, of course, at home, and we had this horrible stepfather. And uh, then we just get the crap kicked out of us there. So... We were outsiders in the sense that everybody knew we were the kids that got beat up. Right. And that's just no fun, dude. Yeah, it was you know, that You don't have any, you got very few friends. Uh, the bullies always pick on you. Nobody sticks up for you. That sucked, you know, yeah. big time. I was, I was that way until I had my growth spurt in ninth grade. Mm-hmm. Eighth grade, ninth mm-hmm. grade. And all of a sudden I was taller than everyone. Yeah. And they stopped messing with me. Well. But... Dude, it still happens, and it's, I don't know if it's, it's, it's physically worse today, but it's certainly mentally worse today, which, right. which is probably worse, worse, because there's just, there's just too much access, unfettered, unrestricted access for uh, kids who, um, you know, you're supposed to have fences growing up. It's called, you know. Parenting, let's not get into that. But, I mean, yeah. it's bad. Right. It's, 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 ugh. <laughs> so, movies were your escape. Yes. 
were you writing at the time as well? I did. You know, I wrote yeah. little short stories and stuff like that. Always, always did. Loved English. Uh, loved reading. I was always a big reader, and to this day, I'm a, I'm a voracious reader. Love it. Um, and uh, yeah, science fiction was my big thing when I was a kid, man. I mean, it was Star Wars, Bradbury, Star Wars, Bradbury, everything. Bradbury was my all-time favorite author. Um, Across anything, I mean, I'm a, you know, I've got, look, I have first editions of Hemingway, I mean, you know, Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, I have it all. And Hemingway, you know, one of my top ten, but Bradbury is my absolute favorite for emotional reasons. And that is because I just, I literally was sucked into those books. When Dandelion Line was the first yeah. big one I ever read, I was like, dude, that's like me, you know, and I read it again and again and again, and, you know. Fahrenheit 451, Martian Chronicles especially. Got right. to see uh, uh, the play that was made of the Martian Chronicles at the Los Feliz Playhouse in 1976, 77, 78, sometime there. And I actually got to meet Bradbury, Mr. Rip Bradbury, God rest his soul, in college when he came to speak. Because uh, I went to Loyola Marymount, so he, you know, he lived in the Los Angeles mm-hmm. area there. And he came to speak, and there was, I don't know, many hundreds of students there in this auditorium. And so Mr. Bradbury said... Uh, how many of you here want to be writers? Of course, everybody raised their hands, right? He goes, I swear, he goes, what are you doing here? Yeah. I left. I was the only one that left. <laughs> and I went, I get to my old typewriter, and I just started writing. And his biggest advice that he ever told me, he goes, look, here's the deal. Writers, write, period. Right. I never forgot that, and I never will. And I give that same advice to, to people that ask me for advice about writing. I go, here's the two things. I mean, look, yeah, you can get the Roland Bard stuff and the semiological stuff. The Art of Dramatic Writing by Lazio Seagree. Best book ever written about writing called On Writing by Stephen King. Get it, mm-hmm. eat it. And then the only other thing you need to know is writer's write and all that that entails. Yeah. When, when did you start directing? Was that in college? Uh, yeah, in high school I did a couple little animated stop yeah. animation things, and then in college I did you know your one hundred one, your one two hundred one, and all that stuff. Um, you know, which they're okay, you know, and like that. But yeah. look, dude, it was the eighties, so like <laughs> whoever went to the college in the eighties, I, I I defy you to tell me how much you actually remember of it. <laughs> you know, so, uh, and then after that, it was three years as a starving artist, just banging my head against the computer yeah. and. Eventually, you know, if you never give up on yourself, it'll happen. Yeah. Would you say that you did? Did you need to go to school to learn how to direct? No, not at all. No. Oh, fair enough. Nobody. No. Listen. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, nobody can teach you to write. Nobody right. can te- really teach. They can teach you. This is a camera. The, the, you know. Here, let's study this. This is you know three point that, and this is how you do that. You know, you learn to write by reading and living a life. You learn to direct. By being a general, a father, a cajoler, a psychiatrist, <laughs> you know, knowing your English, knowing how to tell stories, and so on, so on, so on. Um, and being, what was it, I mean, you know, there, there's the technocrats, then there's the, you know, the, the sort of emotional artists, then there's the people who sort of, you know, there's the L.A. Kazans, the Billy Wilders, the this, the that. There's all these, these geniuses in the, in the in, I mean, Hollywood's only ever produced three geniuses, you know, Charlie Chaplin, Irving Thalberg, and Walt Disney. Everybody else... No matter how good they are, that's it. They they were it. Um, But the point of the matter is, study film Mm -hmm. if you want to direct. And know it from, this is what I tell my crews uh, at every production meeting we have before we start a thing. It's like, look, you know, all 150 of you, I could do every single job on this show. I can empty the honey wagon. Okay. I can sew. 
I can do costumes. I can. Uh, I know how to light. I can gaff. I can shoot this movie myself. I know every part of a camera, but I can't do it all at once. Okay, so I need you. So learn everything you can, and if you want to be a filmmaker, dude, that's why God created Craigslist. There's probably five thousand listings in every city. Need free crew for shoot. Right. Go do it. Unpaid intern, PA. I don't care. Go do it. Learn it from the ground up. It's that's the way you have to do it. Do you ever wonder what it had been like if instead of getting bitten by the bug watching Star Wars, if maybe the first concert you saw? I mean, well, I mean, look, or it's album like or everybody's album. got that thing. If you yeah. weren't doing this, I would have liked to have been. I would like to have been. I mean, who wouldn't want to be a rock star? Right. Right? Exactly. You know, I would have liked to be a, a virtuoso at a particular instrument, perhaps the guitar or the piano. Um, yeah, I, I would have liked to have done that. Or I would have loved to have been the greatest tennis player that ever lived. Yeah. I love tennis. I'll never be the greatest tennis player. <laughs> I love golf. Huh. I'm a ham anger like everybody else, you know? I enjoy it. But yeah, if I, if, if I, if I got the three wishes, mm-hmm. uh, you know. Well, first thing, of course, is I want an unlimited number of more wishes. Right. Okay. You have to do that. <laughs> so you spent, uh, what were those three years starving artists like? They sucked. <laughs> it was. What uh, kept you going? I had something to say. And, and, and both, the two sides of the coin again. Mm-hmm. I would see movies that blew me away, that, were, that, that touched me so emotionally I just had to see him again and again and again and again. And I, 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 I strove and had ambition and wanted to do that and believed that I could. On the flip side of that coin, I'd see movies that just sucked bad. And I'd go, why? I can do so much better than that. Why is that getting made? Who gave that person money right. for that? So, you know, it was that, that look, <laughs> it, you know, anger can be a really monumentally effective motivator. Yes. Okay. But it's also be very destructive, so I don't deal with that anymore. Okay, I also I just deal with the positive, you know. And so I want to do that. I want to be that good. I want to affect people. Look, when you when I write, you know, I write for me. And when I write, if I'm crying, it's working. If I'm laughing, it's working. It doesn't mean that everybody else is going to like it or that an audience will take to it in the same fashion that I do. But there's a whole lot better chance that they will, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and look, directing is the greatest gig on earth. It really is, you know. It's uh, the, the bittersweet thing about directing is that you're out there for months and months and months and sometimes a year. You know, you get really close to, to people and that thing about, oh, they become a family. It's really true. And then, man, when you got to go away, uh, you know, you go away from that whole collaborative, mixed person-to-person creative artist relationship with people Especially hand it to your departments, and then you go, okay, bye. And then next thing you know, you're sitting in a dark room, cutting your picture all alone. And that, you know, that can fuck with your head. You know, yeah. I mean. So you, I'm look. I'm at the point of I've done it enough. I get it. You know, I got the light switch. I can throw it on and off, and, and that's cool. But for a long time, man, you you go through. It's a roller coaster. It's an emotional roller coaster. Absolutely. You know. Um, so you had a pretty 
uh, public falling out and well-documented falling out with the Radio Flyer film. Yeah. I don't really want to talk about that um, because it is so well-documented. Yeah, it's been um, about And we're talking about the Sandlot today. Yeah. So you you get, uh, why did you stick to your gun so much and like, I've got to direct this. It's mine. It's my baby. I'm going to do it. A couple of reasons. One, I didn't get fired off of Radio Flyer because I was a lousy director. Mm-hmm. I got fired off of Radio Flyer because it was a setup. Right. It was a monetary Fiscal, financial, and political setup, okay, by a certain guy whose initials are John Peters. <laughs> Kiss my ass, okay? Right. Um, everybody knew it, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody knew it, even the people that were in the little cabal that, that, that made that little conspiracy happen. And every single one of them was ordered by that guy because he was very powerful at the time to badmouth me, to tell everybody that I couldn't direct my way out of a fucking hefty bag, and so on. And they did. And I said, well, how am I gonna how am I gonna ever get to direct another movie if they've done that? Well, I'm gonna have to write something so good and so contained production-wise that it won't be a fifty or a hundred million dollar movie. It'll be you know way south of ten million. They'll take the chance and all that. And I did. And I got one guy in Hollywood. I was offered at least five times the amount of money for that script from every studio, the majors at the time for the Sandlot, then I accepted for it, mm-hmm. okay? But that was predicated on me stepping aside and not directing it. Right. So, no. Hey, it's you, my ball. You want to play. You pay me. I direct it. The end. One guy in Hollywood saw through all the bullshit. Mark yes. Bird. And you hear these stories, you know, throughout the years, like sure. the guys with Swingers. Yep. They got, and uh, Goodwill Hunting, you know. Yep. And, both, and, all the, and then yourself. You guys have all done fairly well for yourselves. Sure. Um, so... Thank you for sticking. To <laughs> well, thanks. Who, who thanks knows for letting me vent? <laughs> yeah, well, it's you know. Yeah. Who knows what have have come from it if you hadn't held on to it? No, you you know I I don't. There's no way to know that. I mean, yeah. I would have been writing, but uh, had would I ever would I have ever had the opportunity to direct again? Maybe, but not for many 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 right. years after. Yeah. So when you look back, you know that's you've directed other films that mm-hmm. have not captured the public's. As a whole's imagination is mm-hmm. this one. Mm-hmm. Do you? Uh, how do you? I, I since I talk so much to musicians, I can't help but think of it. It's what do I got written here? You've continued to write and direct the twenty years since, but none of the films have mm-hmm. had that cultural zeitgeist mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of the Sandlot. Um, you know, some musicians and other people might be jaded and like irritated that that's the mm-hmm. only thing that caught on. Like, but here you are, twenty years later. Well, yeah, no, listen, I'm intensely grateful Mm -hmm. that this movie has stood the test of time. I mean, there is no greater satisfaction, no greater humbling uh, 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 occurrence, and no greater accolade than that your work stood and stands and always will stand Mm -hmm. the test of time. So I cannot be anything but grateful for that. Why? Because I had almost total control of that film, okay? And that producer, the guy I mentioned, Mark Berg, gave me that control. We bumped heads, but if you're not bumping heads with your producer, you're doing something wrong. (laughs) Everything was cool. I had almost total total control. I said what I wanted to say, the way I wanted to say it, and there you go. After that, hey man, you got to pay the bills. And there's nothing wrong with paying the bills and taking a gig and all this and that and the other thing. It's in the beginning is the word, also in the the middle and the end is the world. I have scripts Mm -hmm. that I believe that I can do the same sort of, create the same sort of, I don't know, yeah. Thing, thing, yeah. whatever that thing is that will stand the test of time. 
I have those scripts. I've written those scripts in the intervening years. I have not managed yet to get someone to give me the money to make them, but I will. Yeah. Oh, I will. You know, you never give up. Have you looked into Kickstarter? Have you even thought of? Yeah, like yeah. There's the Kickstarter thing. The the one these days that's the real big time movie thing is Slated, <laughs> which is quite good. Kickstarter's cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. You know. Fair enough. I mean, we've got. But listen, I mean, I've got my body of work, and, and that I've got material and stuff like that. It is easier for me to find the hard money, the liquid asset uh, component of an indie film budget. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the tax incentive thing is easy. The foreign pre-sales things is completely predicated on who, whom your talent is. Your bankable director is me, and the script, if it's great, is mine. It is great. So it's just, where's that 30%? And um, I, luckily, people want to give me that. So I, I'm very I'm grateful for that. Great, yeah. Um, so you're on this 20th. How long has this tour been going on? Like uh, been since a- the end of February. Wow. You so May, been- June, July. I'm into August now. I got August, September, and a little tiny piece of October to go. I've done over 20,000 miles. Uh, this is my 18th screening at uh, here in Colorado Springs, and every single one of them, with the exception of Greenville, South Carolina, I got rained out. Every single one of them has been just off the charts, incredible, awesome. Uh, Sandlot Love Fest. Just, I just can't tell you how great it is. It's, it's, it's literally almost like an out of body experience. Even the, you know, three to nine hundred mile drives in between yeah. states and baseball stadiums is kind of out of body. I mean, you got to focus right because the truckers will kill you. Um, but, but it's just kind of this glide. You know, it's like kind of surfing. You know, I, I love to surf, and I like longboard, and I love that glide. You're, you're mm-hmm. sort of one with the wave. You know, I don't slash and burn and all that sort of thing. This dream, Sandlock 20th anniversary, too, is kind of like a glide. You know, it's got its own momentum, its own power, its own this. And I'm there to sort of, you know, participate in it and just kind of, you know, cat, be the catalyst and all that. <laughs> and it's, dude, it's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, how important is it for you to be at every one? Because you've been at every single one of them. Right? It's my yeah. tour. Yeah. You know, um, some it was I can't remember. We were in the whole Sandlot thing was in, in last. It was in the beginning of July's issue of Sports Illustrated, and uh, the journalist, Matt Gagnon, great guy. He goes, "You are the Sandlot." I went, "Hey, kind of." He says, "Yeah, Mr. Sandlot." I said, "Well, put me on the cover and put that below there." And, didn't get by his work. editors. It just it did. It wouldn't work. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I'm at every one. I drive. I go to all the. I host them. I meet the fan mm-hmm. stuff. And the guys, some of the original cast members, kind of come in and out and have. We're gonna have them all together at Dodger Stadium. September first is awesome. I had them all about five or six of them with me at the original Sandlot Salt Lake City on the nineteenth and twentieth of July. That was. Ugh dedicated historical marker to me in the film. It was incredible. State of Utah. And uh, it's great to see them. They're all doing well. They all look exactly the same. I (laughs) swear, they look like large (laughs) versions of their little selves. It's just weird. It's really cool. Yeah. Uh, How do you stay humble in the midst of all this love fest? Dude. Or do you? (laughs) No, no. I, I absolutely stay humble. I mean, look, here's the deal. I learned a long time ago. Here's the deal. If it was just me writing a movie, mm-hmm. spending my own money making the movie, 
and then putting the movie in a theater, no one would ever go see it. Yeah. Okay? And that would be the ultimate act of total creative masturbation. Okay? And it would be like, I'm an ego, hear me roar. I, it doesn't mean anything if nobody likes it. <laughs> okay? And the people that like it, the fans, are why I continue to get to do this really awesome thing that I do, both for a living, both as an artist, and all of that stuff. Um, I am intensely grateful to each and every person that comes and tells me, I love your movie, da 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 I shake hands, I hug it out. I've had you know, moms and grandpas and grandmas and kids, look, they start crying. Yeah. And uh, we, yeah, literally, I don't know how many times I've hugged it out on this thing. <laughs> I'm just incredibly, incredibly grateful. Look, there was a time early in my career where I was like, yeah, man, I can do anything. I am a great writer, blah, blah, blah. And then it occurred to me one day, and I'll tell you this. God did not sculpt, paint, compose the universe into existence. He wrote it into existence. God is a storyteller and a writer. It's cool if you want to write, but the minute you start taking credit for it, the lightning bolt's going to hit you in the head, dude. And it hit me in the head a couple times many years ago. I learned my lesson. I, I, I do it, mm -hmm. and I enjoy it. I, actually, I hate the process, right. but I love the result. <laughs> and I never take any credit for it. Yeah. You know? And when people say, oh, this whole great, thank you very much. That's yeah. the way you have to not take criticism. Very, very appreciative. That, that brings the idea. Stephen King has written that he is a conduit for stories. Without question. Are you as well? Yeah. I, I, dude, I, yeah, he's not. He's a. Right. If he was a wire, you know, like the amperage, like I might be like a couple <laughs> of amps. That guy's like 7 billion amps. He writes. I don't know how he does that. He's an, a, a spectacular. He is un inconceivably productive. Right. You know, I mean, he really is. And I, I've read, I have all his first editions. I read everything he writes. I am a huge fan and admirer of his work and his work ethic and his discipline and his mind. And I believe him when he says that, he's, that he is a conduit. Look, all those things, you can't do that unless you, you know your craft. Once you know your craft, you can employ it to get after your art. Right. Okay. And that's what he does. And... Yeah, in some small way, I guess I'm kind of in his, that world. Yeah, I mean, I mean you know, right. a little bit. Um, speaking of you know novels and whatnot, you've just put out an ebook. Um, yeah, it's not out yet, but it's oh, coming it's out. Not, yeah, okay. Yeah, it will. Yeah, I'm still man. I, you know, it's I did it all myself. You know, which is cool. But the learning curve on that, right? That's pretty steep. Yeah. So I finally got it all together and, and like that. And I still got a few formatting things because it's much different than. You know, like a create space, print on demand, or this or that, or the Espresso Book Machine, or any of that, which it's all going to be out on. But that ebook formatting thing, there are geniuses that are fixing that for me. Um, and maybe another month and a half. Yeah, there's a big learning curve. I had a friend of mine who just, she's like, she'd always wanted to write a book, wrote a trashy romance novel, threw it up there without editing it, and it exploded. Uh. But, but because of the way she went through it, she didn't do any of her research. She, like, she lost the rights to it. For like a year or two Whoa, or something. Oh. She had signed away the rights to uh, yeah. it, so she couldn't get it. So there's a huge learning curve. Yeah, so there is. Very man. good for you. For the yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm cautious boy. Yeah. Well, I will, uh, I, we're running late, so I'll go ahead and let you go. Uh, what's next for you? And You've got uh, two movies in the pipeline. I got two or three, or five. I got more than that in the pipeline. <laughs> I mean, I wrote something, uh, my writing partner and I, Paul Ciccone Beery, uh, wrote. I did a movie with Peter Fonda, who's become a very good friend couple of years ago and it was a little boy and his dog movie and he says hey let's do an old man and his dog movie 
So Polly and I knocked out, a, I think, a really beautiful piece for Peter to star in called Hemingway's Hero. So we got that happening. Got a little Christmas picture we're going to do in Memphis. I got something I got to do in uh, Hawaii that I've had for a long time. I got an epic Western that one day I will make, Passion Project. And the thing that I just finished actually on this tour when I had a week of downtime, I finished the first script for the first movie that's going to be made from the great Matt Christopher Sports Series books for kids, which Matt wrote 120 of them. And Wayne Chesler, New York producer, great guy, got all the rights to all of them. So we just finished the script for that. It's going out this week. And uh, it's called The Kid Who Only Hit Homers. And it is literally, (laughs) believe it or not, strangely enough, since I'm on this tour, I think has potential to be the next great family-oriented kid baseball movie. Nice. Because I don't think there's been one worth a shit since The Sandlot. I mean, really. No. Not kid-friendly. Nah, dude. I mean, they tried to remake the Bad News Bears. Why? What? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's next for The Sandlot? Is there going to be a 25th? Dude, I hope so. That's a quarter of a century, right? I figure I can, I'll probably still be around for it to have its 25th, 30th, 35th, 40th, and perhaps 50th. And then I'm then I'm pretty much just going to go fishing, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but other than that, you know, yeah, it's been yeah. just an, an incredibly awesome summer. Great. And the Blu-ray is out now in stores. It is. You can 20- get it. You can get it at the baseball games too. You right? can. You come to this baseball game. Look, you're going to get it there cheaper than it was. Yeah. I think they give it sell for ten bucks. Nice. Yeah, and inside you get the Blu-ray, which is awesome because it's the widescreen anamorphic version that I shot. You get the pan and scan one. You can use that as a doorstop or a coaster. Uh, a coupon uh, for a discount off PF Flyers and a pack of the original replica baseball cards of each kid. So it's quite awesome. Get it. Yes. Uh, hopefully the 25th ver- version has a uh, commentary track on it. I'm a commentary nerd. Dude, so I, I am too. Those. I've done it on a number of movies. They didn't. We didn't do it on that one. But I, I, I'm telling you, because of the, the, the ridiculously awesome success, I've used that word 20 times in this interview. <laughs> if I do one more time, slap me. I think Fox will go for that, and I cool. think we'll try to get all the original cast back together as well. That'd be great. And if not, I mean, you can always do like a something like this, throw it on the internet. I can, exactly, yeah. So, or a couple bucks. A couple bucks. Anything else you want to? Why throw not? Out? Anything else you want to throw out there? Uh, no. Go to my blog and help support my fishing habit. Nice. <laughs> I'll, th- I'll throw up links to that. In Thank you, dude. I appreciate it very much. So, hey, it's been an absolute pleasure. Same here. Thank you. Oh, I had a question. Do you have Rachel Lee Cook's phone number by any chance? I do, and no, you can't have it. Oh, but it's, <laughs> you know, thir- my birthday tomorrow. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> Listen, Rachel Lee is a is a good friend, and so is her husband, brother. Uh, okay, just, I understand. Just tell her I said hi. I, well, I will tell you this: she is the sweetest, <laughs> nicest, most gracious lady you will ever meet. Nice. She also happens to be ridiculously good looking. Indeed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, well, man. thanks, man. Have a good one. All right, buddies. Uh, thank you to David Mikey Evans for sitting down and talking with me today. I, I really couldn't ask for a better uh, 30-second birthday present than getting to interview the director of one of my favorite movies and then getting to go see the f- fine film uh, outdoors at a baseball stadium here in beautiful Colorado Springs, Colorado. If you're listening to this on August 2nd, go now. Buy tickets. 745. Come hang out. Let's, let's drink beers. Let's enjoy my uh, birthday together. It's fun for all ages. Uh, obviously, you're listening to this. You know it's a fantastic film. Uh, I'd like to add that the interview's a little... I mean, interview's 30 minutes long. I easily could have talked to David for another hour or two. And he's a very giving... Um, you know, you can tell. He's been interviewed a thousand times. 
and probably a thousand times about this movie and uh, he's really good at it and he's really good at giving you the goods but we only had 30 minutes in his uh, busy schedule to do it so I kind of cut some things short and kind of moved some stuff around and then in the middle of the interview I'm thinking to myself I'm not asking enough questions about the movie I'm not asking enough questions about the movie and I couldn't think of any in the spur of the moment because that's just the way it works it's the way it works buddies it's okay but at the same time I'm more interested about the person that made the movie than the movie itself let the movie speak for itself and let David speak for himself I guess I don't know I don't know buddies I've had too much caffeine I'm just rambling away uh, but again thank you for listening this week uh, it's a little bit different episode hopefully this won't be the uh, the last filmmaker we have on here we got some other stuff on tap uh, and you know my 32nd year is going to be the year that it all all breaks out and breaks open buddies this is going to be a big year for us here at the Most of the Hamas podcast and uh, thank you for being a part of that. Please, again, go to MostlyHarmlessPodcast.com. Or if you're lazy like me, MHPOD.com. Takes you right there. Takes you right there, buddies. Like us on Facebook. Subscribe on iTunes. Uh, leave us a little uh, little iTunes review there, buddies. And uh, help us keep this uh, machine growing. Um, if, you're, if you're not familiar with the show, we interview mostly punk rock comedians. Well, punk rockers, comedians comic book people uh but yeah we're gonna slowly move into the world of independent cinema um and i don't know about you but after listening to david talk about independent film cinema i'd like to i'd like to give it a shot who wants to make a movie with me buddies let's make a movie all right guys uh once again this since this isn't a music episode there's no music to end it off with so i'd like to thank you for listening thank you and good night we'll see you in the funny pages Forever, forever, forever.